0: Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Well, howdy. Welcome to Herb's Podcast Christmas Trees. What can I do for you, son? Well, I'm looking for a podcast Christmas
1: tree for our show. What do you have? Oh,
0: well, we got some nice
1: finger ones right here. Kind of even more traditional. Well, let me see. How about this?
0: Bit puny, isn't it? Well, put some lights on, some tinsel. Why, it'll be as pretty as a milkmaid's knee. Okay, okay, I'll take
1: it. Pleasure to do business with you, son. By the way, what's your podcast? Um, <clears throat> live from the internet. Gaming on the Frontier Hi, this is Bruce This is Trav And this is Jonathan Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier Your gaming podcast Where we get to pretend we're Santa's elves Answering questions from you, our listening public
0: Oh, this mailbag's getting heavy. It's easier lifting alternators.
1: But Santa, I've already put in a 13-hour shift. Oh, ho, ho. You can
2: sleep after Christmas. There is no overtime at the North Pole.
1: There's just time and not enough of it. So, our episode this year... Since we've spent ten years trying doing every possible iteration of Santa Claus, you know, on on alternate worlds and different traditions for uh, yep. for Christmas and stuff, we thought we'd go very basic this year and just simply say, let's ask a couple, you know, let's just pool our knowledge together and talk about what would be, you know, what's the best choices for Christmas presents to receive or give to other people as far as RPGs are concerned. So. As normal, we have a list. No, no, we have to name it correctly, the patented Bruce Shepard
0: outline. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and they don't have to be in any particular order. I'm just going to call out a host and say, what do you think about this? And and we're, and we're just going to uh, round robin and, of course, jump in on everybody else's ideas. So, Trav, you pick something.
0: Okay. Uh, over-the-top violence,
1: Bruce. Oh, my gosh. I I knew this was a mistake To put that in there (laughs) So I'm going to have to say Hero Hero systems
0: Oh, okay I had that for something else But
1: yeah Because if you play it As a four color system One of the major things That this thing lets you do Is that you had You could create building points By taking disadvantages And also by Limiting your items, your uses of certain powers. Oh yeah, you could like say I'm only can use this like once a week, and it would be like a minus, like one hundredth, you know, of the cost. But
0: it did like nine thousand d six damage,
1: right? Yeah. Because you could take that 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 one hundred points and put it into power and just stop. You have your you basically you had your like one-shot straw power that could just take out pretty much anybody. Dude, our
0: group cut our teeth on champions.
1: Yeah. Now I'm not gonna say it's it's not a game that isn't entirely buried under crunch. I mean, I really recommend that you get the computer character generation program that that was that's produced by them because I mean just try just trying to do it. I mean, I've I mean, the book is, is thick enough to stop a, a, a magnum round. They proved that.
0: Oh no, the fifth edition, <laughs> fifth edition revised. Yeah, that book is a weapon.
1: Yeah, they, they were firing bullets through it, and it was actually stopping bullets. It was so thick. But I'm saying you go through it, and they will give you lots of examples. And I just kept saying, but how did you get there? How did you, you know, and, and, and trying to do all the ads and the minuses. Use the computer program. It's so much easier. you just pick from menus and such and take the disadvantages and the advantages added as pluses and minus to each of your powers and you get a final cost and you can get it down to where it works like it's supposed to but it's really kind of hard to do it otherwise actually playing the game in the system isn't that hard uh, to me the hardest part
0: it's character creation yeah
1: character creation is a tough one especially for the gm who has to make all the npcs and things like that you know and, yeah. and the big bad so oh yes but because of the fact that you can build these enormous powers into the game, uh, you can. I've I've seen it basically used to to to, repre, to play air, pretty much every genre, it's over the top genre I can imagine.
0: Fantasy hero, star hero, pulp hero, ninja hero. Oh no, they had. I've got a lot of the uh, fourth and fifth edition books still, you know, gathering dust. I haven't used that system in a long time. But yeah, well, problem is, let's face it. The only for for Hero System, the only really good. Genre, it, it's made for superheroes. You can play the others, but most people play Hero System for champions.
1: The four color superhero. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah. And that that's the champions
1: game. Yeah. Originally, it was champions, was released, and then they came out with heroes and treated them as if they were separate products. But I think everybody understood after a while.
0: Oh, yeah. They had, what was it? Justice Incorporated and Fantasy Hero, and then they just came out. It's
1: really the same game. Yeah.
0: Jonathan, over the top violence RPG. <sighs>
2: not really an over-the-top thing but the closest the thing that comes to mind when um i heard about this was actually going back to the um 1992 edition of uh, bureau 13 um with the detailed hit uh body hit location charts uh as soon as my players got a look at those charts yeah they were shooting for the gonads every time
0: well yeah oh no no It, it bruce and i have said this that it, it, it was the best and worst thing about TriTech when Rich made those tables. Like, oh my God, it's the most detailed you know hit system I've ever seen. And then, mm-hmm. oh my God, this is the most detailed hit
1: system I've <laughs> ever seen. Yeah. I, I mean, I computerized it, and because I did that, I can tell you that based upon you know it, that if you make the right attack, you you would go through fourteen different tables before you finish the resolution you'd end up with a yeah. page of information about that particular injury
0: <laughs> oh yeah
1: yeah
0: it's bad that the I still know to this day that it's a three percent chance of death shock you get shot through a pinky <laughs> That's how my mind works. I still remember that from that damn chart.
1: Right. But it's a 95% chance if you shoot somebody between the eyes. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
1: all you had to do was roll under half of your uh, of what you had to roll. You know, if your roll for success was 10 and you rolled a 5, you put that bullet exactly or whatever it was you were using exactly where you wanted it. And so that's where I coined the phrase, a bull in the brain is a bullet in the brain. Yeah. Because people were saying, I've got 45 hit points. And I'm like, dude, a bull in the brain is a bullet in <laughs> the brain. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or like my mom used to say, right betwixt your running lights. Yeah,
1: <laughs> It was a, definitely a sudden death game. Oh, uh, yeah. If, if you chose to play it that way.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. I, like In my games, it only really ever came out if they were specifically asking for that call shot or they were like... For sniper shots,
1: yeah, right. Yeah, there were there were some very simple, fast kill rolls. So you didn't have to. So you didn't actually have to spend an hour doing a simple round of combat. Uh, but most people wanted that detail, even though they said they didn't. Until until you know they got over it. <laughs> you know, I mean, after you've run through a couple of game sessions where you know, like literally less than thirty seconds have gone by, they 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 kind of say, okay, we we it's okay if we don't get every little bit, you know, it's fine.
2: And mostly my games never had that much combat in them anyway until you got like to the monster. First you had to find the monster.
1: Well, generally whoever shot first in Tritac died. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, the, 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 their opponent died. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because of how, uh, how deadly it was. Um, but, uh, Trav, do you, do you have an, an alternative of the two I brought, we brought up?
0: Just as f- over-the-top violence, I'm, I am I went along the lines of just the cinematic system where you could just go and make the ridiculous shot. And, Bruce, I think you'll agree with me on this. Savage Worlds, even though I've only played it once. I played Savage Rips with um, Big Irish at Con and the Cob a few years ago.
1: Because it has the open-ended resolution system?
0: No, this is for over-the-top violence.
1: No I know but I'm saying is is it because you think that's because it's an open-ended rolling you know resolution system
2: because oh, you the whole ex- explosion thing
1: yeah all the, the exploding dice you can just
0: do the wahoo swinging from the chandelier and shoots a or, you know like the things they talk about in the Star Trek reboot movies. this is like oh. <laughs> shooting a bullet with a smaller bullet while riding a horse and jumping into your shot glass. You can do that stuff in Savage worlds. I just watched the three reboot movies with my girlfriend, because we're gaming the Kelvin universe, she's in the games, so she didn't know about the Kelvin universe. And all of those phrases kept popping up. Oh, like, diving into a shot glass after, you know, piloting this and doing this, and, you know, you can do all that in Savage Worlds, so that means you could sit there and ride a horse on a frozen lake and try to shoot the wings off a fly. Savage Worlds, you can do that type of stuff. That's just how the system is built. It's that cinematic. So for over-the-top violence, I would use that. And I just got the uh, the new Suede, the Adventure Edition, and I got it with the new Robotech that came out that my buddy put out. So, yeah, Savage Worlds, as far as just over-the-top violence, gunfighting, combat, that's what came to mind for me first.
1: Okay. Hmm. And I know Bruce knows the system far better than I do. <laughs> I guess so. I, I'm still I'm using it every week. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not that familiar with this system, but I've heard people say that when it comes to creating like especially mob combat kinds of situations where you have really like big you know combat scenes, over the top kind of violence. Uh, feng, feng Shui.
0: Feng Shui. Oh, I played that too. Yes. Oh, that I played that in a while. Wow.
1: Because they allow you to go into. Basically cinematic mode Yes Essentially everything that you do Becomes easier And you can basically take on Like you know Masses of mooks uh yep. and, and keep on going And do outrageous things Like leaping from You know um, uh, One One you know, one telephone pole to another. You know, because the bridge has fallen into pieces and all that's left of the are the, the 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 struts hold that were that were holding up the track, but now they're gone. And you can like fight, you know, from one to another, and or, or swing around, or you know, whatever. You know, just it, it's it encourages you to do uh, outrageous stunts. So basically, like any of the fight scenes from John Wick. Yes. Oh, absolutely. The Matrix, yeah. Big Trouble, Little China. Yeah, Man of Tai
0: Chi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: I, I've been told this. I've never actually played it.
0: I have. It. It was a cute system. It was run for a campaign we had for about a year. Me and some former roommates and their friends. And yeah, I was quite impressed with just. You want to do this? Fine. If you have, if you know, if you can pull it off via the rules. You could sit there and walk on the clouds. I'm like, okay, cool, and yeah. <laughs> I, I was actually impressed with how little I played it, how, and best way to describe it, over the top that it is. And I think I have some of the old PDFs, and I might have a book or two somewhere, so I'd have to look. that be, might, might be something I might want to drag up again if I want to you know, have my players learn a new rule system. Also, the setting was really cool where you could bounce between four
1: different times. But,
0: yeah, as far as over-the-top, yeah, feng shui. That, that's another left-field one,
1: yeah. All right. So, Jonathan, what do you think about the fastest game resolution system? What system lets you get through? And, of course, a lot of the ones we've been talking about are not the right choices. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. Hero System, Tritac. I personally think D and D is not a fast system, but do you have a, a preference for the fastest system? Absolutely. Um it's
2: something I I bought just this year and I've I've played a little bit. Um Amazing Tales. A role-playing game specifically to introduce younger audiences to role playing.
0: Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, it is specifically made for, you know, young kids, like younger than you would usually introduce to role playing. It's about getting them to inhabit a character, tell a story with you, and all conflict revolution, uh, resolution is handled with a single dice roll um, from D4 to D12, depending on how good the character is at a, a task, and anything above a three is a success. And it's that simple. It's very much a narrative driven game that that because I just told you the rule system. Okay. So it's all about the the game master or which is usually the parent setting up and setting up these situations and the child saying, I want to climb the mountain. All right. Well your skill in climbing mountain is one D6, so roll it. Oh, I got a two. Okay, you slipped a little bit. You want to try again? It's it's very much about moving fast not there's really no failure states it's all about delays because mm-hmm. again this is all about just giving the child a chance to enjoy role-playing and learning about it and how to and practicing it okay so yeah the the, the
1: resolution is lightning quick
0: bruce can you you go through yours first here real
1: quick <laughs> okay supposedly savage worlds it advertises itself as being a you know, a super fast uh, gaming system. The idea is is that you can do you know anything you want to you know in a, in a round, and all it does is just tack on extra minuses, and that you know you and if you make your if you try to make your roll and you fail at it, you get to use your bennies to try again, and then you know if uh, you have a hero die that. Uh, in, just you roll in addition to the regular die So you basically have It's basically like rolling advantage With advantage Anybody who knows D&D d five You're always rolling with advantage Okay So it makes it pretty You can uh, Easy to be successful And the fact that um, That if you roll the maximum die Number on any die, you get to roll it again and again and again and again and again and again again if you keep hitting that maximum number. I've seen people with D4 roll 36s. So it encourages people to do complicated things because there's a pretty good chance that they're going to be able to pull it off. So someone can say something like, I'm going to go and do all these things, and the GM just basically says, okay, make a single roll instead of having to make a lot of other rolls, you know, a, a whole bunch of small rolls round after round and slowly work your way to those things. A lot of other game systems, they make you basically roll a success for each part of the task. But Savage World encourages you not to do that, just to make a single roll. And, you know, and, and, and just depending upon how much you're willing to invest, you know, in the success of it, you either succeed or fail. Okay, that's not the one I was going to choose, though Okay, I choose Quags
0: Okay, I've heard of that I think I may have that in the the folders of folders Yes, I've heard of it
1: It's an older game Uh, It's a very simple system, not a whole lot of stats to it But everything is determined by your roll plus yum-yums Yum-yums are pieces of candy A few of which you get at the beginning of the game Everyone has a certain amount of yum But as you do things that progress the plot or please the GM in any way Including making funny jokes You know, anything you do to And and you see, as a GM I always feel like my players Do not suck up to me sufficiently <laughs> It's like Pretty Woman Not enough sucking up is going Mommy, on You know, I'm, I'm the, the GM yes. And Yeah. (laughs) And all I get and I I, all I get from my players is grief. Okay. And I'm like, yeah. So this game system, you know, encourages your players to entertain the GM because he gives you yum yums. And then when you get into a situation where it's unlikely for something to happen, you basically say, Oh yeah, but how many yum yums does it take for me to actually make it happen? And then the GM will think about it for a second, and says, okay, three yum yums. And you, you know, you might be half of your yum yums. And okay, but you got to do the thing you wanted to do and you didn't have to, you know, jump through hoops. You know, you if you have a lot of yum yums, your future is assured. Let me put it that way. So, of course, people do have a tendency to hold on to them until the end of the game so they can use it against the big bad, whatever that might be. But anytime you run into a situation where it really matters for you to succeed, you're almost always going to be able to do so by the fact that you can spend yum-yums to do it. So I, I recommend that. And, and it's, like I say, it's, it's a much older game system and... Um, I've I've run a number of sessions of it, not run it. I've actually played in it a number of sessions at Gen Con uh, in totally different games. One was uh, a kind of a Cthulian one in the desert. The other one was I was playing the um, remember the TV series Hercules? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, The guy that was his sidekick. Meleus. He was kind of like a thief, but you know he, he was mostly into like dodging people because. Hercules did all the heavy hitting But he, had, he was good with a sword That's what we got to play We got to play the guys that basically helped the gods And the god was walking around Doing some quest and we were there Helping him do it We were heroic but not We were not demigods ourselves that was a lot of fun because we got to have all the, the cute, you know, uh, in, in this case, Greek tropes going on. At the same time, we also had the, the fact that we weren't gods. We weren't, in, 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 you know, nobody. if someone chopped off our heads, so what, nobody was going to be able to just sew it back on later like some things happened inside the, the mists. We, we were a lot more at risk, so that's where the yum-yums came into the, in the play. Trav, you got, you got your answer? Found
0: it, and it's a- along the same lines as Jonathan's. And I don't know if you heard of this one, Jonathan. It's from Brave Halfling Publishing. It's called Kids Castles and Caves, and it's it's another game where you're trying to introduce children into fantasy role playing.
2: Yeah, I think I've heard of that.
0: Okay, yeah. What because what, this was the one, as I said before, we started taping this. Uh, Fastest game resolution. It just The ambiguity just stopped me until I got a feel for what we're looking for through your guys' answers, and so I had to get the hard drive and plug it in. Yeah, basically you're having your kids play fantasy archetypes. Let's see. Cleric, Dwarf, Elf, Fairy, Halfling, Knight, and Wizard. And it's all on a D6. Everything's on a D6 entirely. So... Yeah, it's sort of along long... And, and I looked through it. And I actually reviewed it for my show years ago when I was still doing the RPG report. And so, yeah, it's... And they got very basic strat, stats for a dragon, a gargoyle, gelatinous cube, a ghost, a giant, giant animals. Yeah, your typical fantasy monsters, and you can go up as these fantasy archetypes, and everything is with a D6. So, yeah, that's about... I mean... That's about as simple rules as you can get. But it just, yeah, It, it once Jonathan made his answer, I'm like, I, I feel like Chekhov running through the ship. I know this! I can do this! <laughs> <laughs> woo, woo, woo! Yeah.
1: Go ahead, and um, Jonathan, you pick something. Bruce, go ahead and tell me what you think is the best
2: magic system.
1: All right. The best magic system. Of course, we're talking about games that actually are out, because we spent a whole series of of, of Episodes yeah. on this podcast talking about <laughs> what we think the best magic system should be. Okay. So, um, I still haven't worked my way through those yet. Oh, okay. Well, they're, 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 <laughs> I, I highly recommend them. <laughs> oh, I'll get to them. Yeah. I'm going to have to say that the one that I've never actually done, but I always wanted to because nobody was running the game, is I wanted to do Ars Magica magic system, because unlike every other magic system at its time, which was essentially a list of spells, you were a spellcaster, you went up levels, you had certain spells that you could do, or you got magic points, and and you learned spells, and you basically put the points toward the spells, okay, all the spells were written in stone, all right, and so you're, uh, and, and making new spells was very difficult because, you know, essentially somebody had made them up and you had to make sure that the level of the spell was of a parity with the other spells. And if you went in a really weird direction The GM might have a really hard time figuring out How to, you know, how to do that sort of thing And how to make it fit in with the spell level power structure A lot of times you'd get a no, you can't do this Okay, so uh, the way Ars Magica worked was Is that you had, basically it was a, a grammar You had a verb and you had a bunch of different clauses or subjects And you could mix them together You know, and you used Latin words for things So you'd say infernal for, like, fire, you know And you had curved and maybe a word for distance And that meant you were able to create a fireball That would actually move in a curve So we could actually get around an obstruction And hit somebody who was hiding behind a pillar, for example
0: Okay, Bruce, I'm getting two different vibes here From what you're doing, and I like this system One... The rote system from World of Darkness, where you piece together words and you build spells like that. Okay. Uh Also, in Pathfinder, Ultimate Magic. They have an alternate magic system. Now, I have not used it yet. I've looked it over briefly. And it's essentially the same thing. Where you are building your spells based on components. Like... Fire distance, yeah, it's along that, and it's they just call it words of power. As I said, it's for Pathfinder. It's in the Ultimate Magic book, the one with the yellow cover. That's exactly the vibe I'm getting from this R's Magic Assistant. And I do remember that seeing that game ages ago.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it came out the same very soon after Pendragon and things like that. Again, it was the second. It was the second wave of RPGs that came out.
2: Yeah, that one's been on my list for a while, actually.
1: See? Maybe that should appear under the Christmas tree. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's,
1: it's a beautiful time to be an RPG player because all those expensive books are now so much cheaper because they're on PDFs. And they're so much more transportable because you can have thousands of them in, a, in subdirectories on your laptop. Isn't that right, Trav? Mr. Shepard,
0: I have no <laughs> idea what you're referring to.
1: Yes, yeah. of course not. <laughs> of course anyway. not. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. anybody else? Uh,
0: let's see. Huh? For me, uh, uh, for magic system, Yeah. two of them, and they work different ways. We've mentioned the hero system, because if you play fantasy hero, you have to build the spells that you have via spell points. Therefore, you can craft your spells exactly the way you want them. Do you want a lightning bolt that does one target damage, or do you want the lightning bolt that fires a, like like the OGL one does, like in a five foot wide line, or in this case, um, a hex, and just take out everybody that is in contact with that hex? Either that, or oh crap! What is the term, the fire and forget magic? What what?
1: Vancian. Based on Jack Vance and his um, a Dying Earth series of stories.
0: Yep, that's the one. Thank you. I love it when my co-host can check my map. For OGL, I, I've given up on the spell slot. I don't like it. If I can find a system that does spell points, I'll use the daylights out of it, and there's two things that I can use. I have to go back to the 3.5 Unearthed Arcana, and I believe... Page 151 in that book is where you can find spell points for most of the spellcasting classes in a Pathfinder OGL game. Cleric, Druid, Sorcerer, Wizard, Bard, what have you. Or, there is the PDF from Scorch Earth Studios, the Modern Spellcaster, where the premise is the lines between magic have blurred. You are just a spellcaster now. You take feats to emulate Certain aspects of, oh, like, I'm a wizard, or I'm a sorcerer, or I have domains like a cleric, or I can do, you know, music to help people, like a bard. You may not have, like, the in-depth powers, like, oh, I'm a summoner or a magus. You have some of those core abilities, but it all comes from that modern spellcaster class and they use spell points. Now for Unearth Arcana, it's even number or odd numbers for every level. So zero points, they're they're free. You can just cast a number of them, I think, equal to your intelligence bot. Then like the first levels are one, the second levels are three, five, seven, nine, eleven, thirteen go down. Now the modern spellcaster, you get less spell points, but it's an equal amount. The, the Unearthed Arcana ones, you have to go by spell class and, what is it, the highest level spell you can cast and your attribute. So if you have like an 18 intelligence and you can cast a second level, you get this many extra bonus points besides being a wizard of, say, fourth level. Now, with the modern spellcaster, it is intelligence modifier and level or something like that, and then you get a number every level, and you can get feats which add to it and add to the recovery. I just prefer a spell point method, and those are the ones that come to mind. Or where you can craft your own spells to the exact specifications you need, like in Hero System. As I said, we we did... Jonathan, you have no idea how many recordings we did for <laughs> best magic system. I've seen a you know?
2: list. I've oh, seen the yeah. playlist.
0: Oh, oh, Josie and I, we vocally put on there, yes, we are so glad we're done with it because it was weeks that we just deconstructed role-playing game magic systems because all of us agreed we could not find a perfect one. That's why I had two choices here because they have the best options of both but that was just one of the things that we had was their magic systems are very particular and you really have to house rule what you want to get the perfect magic system. So that's what that entire mega series was about. (laughs) So yeah, I had to go with two choices on that one. Just,
1: yeah. I think we should just finish up, you know, considering the time we have here, let's finish up with the, um, the last thing I added Which was, what is the most obnoxious RPG character you have ever played or seen played?
0: Oh. Mine is a very simple answer. And if you know of this race, you know exactly, uh, you you will share my damn pain. A kender. Oh. And that noise Jonathan made, folks, is exactly what I'm talking about. I have had characters in my campaigns, and I have played Kenders, and I have made sure that I stuck to the core tenets of a Kendr. No sense of personal property, no sense of fear, and if you are called a thief, that's an insult. You are a handler. The, the, the typical skills that thieves, quote-unquote, air quotes, have, those were games that Kendr, oh, take apart this lock. Oh, hide and seek. Those were games that Kender kids played, which, unfortunately, in the human world, just happened to translate out into thieving skills. But they called themselves handlers. So if you sat there and you called a Kender a thief, he would break down and cry. Mm -hmm. Because for them, it's... And they had no sense of personal property. They would walk into a fellow Kender's house, pick up the knife that was on the table, and take it home with them. That stuff don't fly in the human world, though. That would be some form of grand larceny if you did that in a human town. In a Kender town, nobody owned anything. And also, they had no sense of fear, which means they would get into all sorts of stuff. You would sit there, and I I think they figured out that at the most, if a Kender felt anything... This is before the the affected Kender, the ones that had their home destroyed by a dragon and they actually learn the concept of fear. <laughs> At the most, I think Tasselhoff, he experienced fear. He's like, my stomach doesn't feel good. What do you mean? It feels upset, like like I ate something bad. And they're like, oh my god, are you experiencing fear? Is that what that is? You know. So if just Kenders, I played a Kender in Eric the Enabler's campaign. Uh, his buddy made it up, Gortha. And my character, um, King and Tapdazzler basically had to sit on his hands the entire time that he was not being able to. Can I touch this? No. Can I check this out? No. Sit down. Sit down on your hands. Why do I have to sit on my hands? Because we don't want you to touch anything. And I role-played it where I was just like, mm, you know, just sitting there pouting like a kid because I couldn't get up, I couldn't explore, I couldn't do anything. So I couldn't be a kender. It's like the rest of the party had to direct me to my strengths. Okay, go and scout and make sure you stay on target because apparently they have like almost ADHD yeah. or ADD where they're just always oh squirrel you know shiny shiny and of course what is the never what is the one thing that you never want to hear a kender say oh look at that go no, oops <laughs> <Kendors> are <laughs> like slugs you don't have to outrun whatever's chasing you you just have to outrun the kender And remember, they're only three feet tall, so they run, in OGL rules, 20 feet. Most humans run 30 feet. You can do it. (laughs) But yes, (laughs) most annoying character, a kender, which usually most of them are handlers. Some occasionally might be fighters. But yeah, just, I've played them, and I've ran them, and just, yeah. They can be fun to a point. Then you're kind of glad that they get killed off.
1: (laughs) Mm. All right. All right. Jonathan? Uh, I, the
2: best I have on that one, as far as most obnoxious RPG character, is Volo okay. Uh Sticking with D&D, the famous bard who writes all these wonderful books. And, like, the first time you meet him in Waterdeep, he hires you for a quest and then stiffs you on the bill.
0: Oh, where I come but from, you... that's a dead bard. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but, of course, he's got plot armor because he's a major D&D lore character, so uh, Velo, yeah. Velo never dies. Uh,
0: okay. All right. Yeah, I can see where that'd be a problem. <laughs> where other people are just like, oh, you're not getting out that damn sheet. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's just every time I've seen him. Um, played. Um, I've never had him come up in one of the games I've run, but every time I've seen him played, it's always very—he is the classic uh, arrogant, blowhard bard. Where it's, you know, I'm much more impressive than I really am. Don't look behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> I've killed off all these monsters. Don't worry about the five—you know—the five heroes I actually hired to do it for me. I'm the one who killed them. Uh, oh boy! So yeah. it's, when we say obnoxious, I mean this is the enjoyable obnoxious to me. That's the point. Is he's, he's the obnoxious character that you hate him, and that's the point, and you have fun hating him. He's the character you love to hate.
1: Okay, L- like the um, uh, overbearing mage in uh, Harry Potter <laughs> that was played by Kenneth Braga. Yeah, yeah,
2: it pretty much yeah.
1: Okay, is that it? That's pretty much all I have. I,
2: I, Trav kind of took the wind out of my sails with that Kinder because it's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs>
1: all right. Well, yeah. let me let me see if let me see if I can bring it home. Okay. All right. Back, you know, one of the things that that I, you know, I, I kind of feel has happened in the RPG system, I and mean, maybe it's just my players, but um, or even me. But I, it felt like back in the day when I first. I started playing D anD D back in the late 70s, early 80s, and in those days, it seemed like you know there was the next supplement was going to change everything, that anything was possible, and if you didn't have if the rules didn't didn't incorporate a way for you to play a character you wanted to play, you just create a whole class for yourself. As long as your your GM would vet it and say okay, it's fine, you could come up with all kinds of crazy classes and things like that. Um, And our group, you know, that was part of the Science Fiction Society that I was involved with back then in uh, down in Huntington at Marshall University, they had some really creative folk. Okay, and I I won't claim that I'm that person because. Uh, I was just learning at that point. I hadn't even, you know, didn't even know how to play yet. But these people were actually seasoned players, and we were coming out of a very literary background. So they'd read all the Conan stuff, and they'd read all the other stuff, and they, they'd, you know, they, they were big fans of uh, Cerebus, the Aardvark. Uh, so people would come up with new classes to. Essentially allow them to play the characters They wanted to play inside of D&D Or whatever game system they were doing But primarily we were all playing D&D Okay And the class that someone came up with Was called the idiot Oh no And other people came up with a jester class But this was the idiot The guy, you know, the the town idiot The guy that sits on the the wall You know And Everyone knows who he is, you know, he'd been hit by, you know, he he felt he's fallen off the wall too many times or whatever, gotten kicked by a mule. Sometimes you had one on each end of the town. <laughs> this was a and d character class. And there there had been a number of different character who were who had the class of idiot, but the one I remember the best was Sirloin Kenigget Of the end table. Oh. (laughs) Could not have an intelligence over six. That was the top level, you know, which in in every other class, you had to have at least a six intelligence, I think, even to play a fighter. Yeah. Mm. Everybody else had these, this was the, there, that was the top. You couldn't have higher than that, okay, uh, in intelligence there were a lot of restrictions on the, the various abilities that they had as far as stats were concerned. Where they really shone was in the special abilities because at first level, a idiot had the ability to do a disgusting act. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the success of of this person doing it was primarily it was based on the difference between the idiot's level and the level of the person that you were doing it to. So if you were up against a 10th level character, you had like a plus 10 to your success or a plus 9 to your success. It was harder when you were up against people of the same level. So, in most cases, in the D and D thing, it usually ended up with getting them like a, a plus three or a plus four because first level characters might be up against like a a bugbear that was third level or even some a ghast that was uh, that fourth level or whatever you know the, the, the those kinds of things. So, usually the bonus wasn't that big, but it's still a significant bonus, you know, because every you had the fighters with the eighteen double zero strengths and things like that going on, so. This character's ability was primarily his ability to take away your actions. So, the ability of doing a disgusting act. So, he would do something like he'd walk over and he would tear his own fingernail off. Oh, okay. And, of course, okay, everybody roll for amazement. Minus three on on, on your saving throw. And... If you fail, of course, you're amazed. And the party members were amazed, too, by the way. A lot of times the party would stand around agaping at what just happened. The monsters would be like, what did you just do? And, and while that happened, the characters who could act got basically the equivalent of surprise attacks on the opponents. So he was a basically a great debuffer of the enemies. We didn't use had those terms back then. I had the character class in a book that we put out that basically stole from everybody. We had all these weird classes from Dungeon Magazine. We even stole uh, we stole the Kryn class, the the kind of dragon human from Tritac Games. It was all in this book. We basically said that you know this book is is the sole responsibility and property of whichever member of our group is currently out of the country at the time in case legal action was ever pending oh, <laughs> for copyright infringement and, and they would go over to the university of course and use their their university accounts to print out hundreds of copies of this book <laughs> of stuff and, and and sell it at conventions to pay for their rooms and it was a, a real money maker so this thing has gotten around but I know that probably for most people it's disappeared you know, it's just one of those things where you know, off, you know, anybody, you know, people got rivet because they look at it and they're like, "Well, this isn't an official class, so I can't play it." This, this is what I'm talking about. How ge- people have gone away from that wild creativity and gotten very uh, normalized in, 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 the classes that they'll play and the, and the, and the adventures that they'll go on. But it was a little bit more wild westy. Devil May Care back in the beginning. There was more and more outrageous abilities you got as you went up levels. Uh, At one point, you could go over and tear off your opponent's fingernail. Oh. Oh, Which, of course, gave him a permanent minus to dexterity until it healed. And also, he had to make a saving throw. Otherwise, he was amazed. (laughs) Or she was amazed. You do things like you would fill your shorts, pop your eyeballs out. Anything you can imagine as a as a crazy thing, you know, you'd you do the thing, the 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 weird um, uh, contortionist kind of thing where you've seen them on YouTube where people do it and people are like, ah, oh, you know, that sort of thing was what their stock of trade was. Oh, okay. Okay. As they got more powerful, they became less like idiots and more like geeks, like the sideshow, the guys who bite the heads off chickens and. And, and do all kinds of horrible things Most idiots did not survive Because usually at some point The game master would say Okay, the townspeople are, are so disgusted by you That they form a mob They chase you down <laughs> They put you, set you on fire And you're dead At which point then, then he'd look to the rest of the party To see if anybody was willing to resurrect him After the fact <laughs> <laughs> it was an iffy uh, proposition because they were—they're they were essentially—they—they they were designed to be throwaway characters. Yeah, yeah. But they were truly, truly amazing, obnoxious characters that the people who played them had an absolute ball playing, and the rest of us felt very much put upon by having to have this character in the party, because there was usually somebody in the party who was playing a paladin. Who's like, oh, I'm you know, the holy paladin, the good, mighty, you know, might is right, and I'm for good, and all this stuff like that. And this guy's over there, you know, doing something disgusting. And they're all like, is he with you? <sighs> yes. Because, <laughs> yes. <laughs> of course, yeah, I'm, I'm a paladin, I have to tell the truth. <laughs> yeah. It's like. Yeah. <laughs> what was the term?
0: Awful stupid, yeah.
1: <laughs> People played Paladin's Lawful Stupid back then because we didn't know how to play a Paladin. You know, we we, we were all steeped on the you know Lancelot rules and, and totally forgot about the fact that Lancelot had to lie like a fiend in order to hide the fact that he was having an affair with Guendevere. Guinevere, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's my most amazing disgusting character. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh,
1: there are some uh, close runner-ups, one of which I created, which was Spaghetti Man, the Living Linguini. Oh yeah, I remember. A man made entirely of a single strand of of pasta.
2: Oh wow. Okay, so that made uh, you just reminded me of of one that I actually had in in one of my uh, Bureau 13 campaigns. Um, she was the the. Uh, it's been a while, but the premise of the character was. She had uh, like minimal intelligence, like one. Uh huh. But that's because she was tied into the Akashic records. So she had perfect recall of everything in her own life.
1: All right. She just couldn't do any problem solving. She was great on recall, but not on any extrapolation. She could, yeah, she
2: could recall anything she had seen, experienced. Heard, listened, smelled anything with perfect clarity from the moment her brain had formed in the womb. She remembered three months of the womb. Huh. Oh. But, again, no problem solving, no new information on her own. And she was psionic and, again, tied into the Akashic Record, so she could look into the memories of any sentient creature, past, present, or future. Oh. Oh. But it was so she was the the one that all right, let's go investigate here. look in the past and see what happened here, okay. And that pause was intentional because then it would be, okay, what do you see? Some guy's killing somebody. Okay, All right, good. Let's keep working and. <laughs> Exactly. And she, she played it beautifully. She, it was basically the ultimate expression of the dumb blonde. Okay. And she played it. It it, it was definitely the most obnoxious character because she only lasted for maybe three sessions. Oh, and then we were like, all right, we're just going to put you away now. Let's find you a new character.
1: In our group, we did have a player that actually fulfilled the role of the most obnoxious character a young lady, a teenager at the time, who was drop-dead gorgeous, beautiful blonde, perfect features, swore like a sailor. (laughs) Okay. I mean, it was like she had tay sacks, okay? Anytime she ever got frustrated, which was very often, it would just be a blue streak, you know, and we used to refer to her as she has an 18 charisma until she opens her mouth. Ah, okay, yeah. But she was one of our own, and we loved her dearly. I still have many fond memories of her. <laughs> and the long ex- expletives that came out. I te- entirely you know, could 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 deal with that. <laughs> your, your teenage years do not define you, but they certainly you certainly have to live them down usually. <laughs> I
2: don't i probably the most apt thing I've heard in, in all day.
1: Well. Ho, ho, ho! Santa says I've got lots of stuff to bring to those boys and girls. I sure hope that drive-through RPG is open late. It has expedited shipping. Santa, it's all downloads. You can get them immediately. Oh, then let me get my list. Those little boys and girls had better put their email on their requests. <laughs> And they
0: better be on the nice list too, because you don't want to know what PDFs getting you down the naughty list. You
2: know? Oh no,
1: no! You get on the naughty list, we're we're going to send you, you know, human occupied landfill. Oh <laughs> wow! <laughs> we hope you guys have are having a wonderful Christmas at this point. Like I said, you we hope you've had a wonderful Christmas, and we hope that you did get all the things that you were really hoping for. If you have any Christmas money. Maybe we've given you some ideas of things, things you want to spend it on. If so, let us know through our Facebook accounts, fans of uh, Gaming on the Frontier and also on our Podbean site at TriTechSystems.Podbean.com, And uh, head over to iTunes and give us a review and hopefully say we did an excellent job in five stars because that lets other people know about us. Because it pops up to the the top of their list for for a little while, and new people check us
2: out. Praise the algorithm.
1: Yes, yes. Yes, yes. We're going to game the algorithm to death like everybody else. Since you are going to be hearing this before our 500th episode, we will be letting you know on the, the various things we have. There'll probably be some announcements going out on this feed uh, About whether or not we're going to be able to have a streaming 500th episode and if we are, we hope you really will enjoy, uh, join us for that Because then, you know, we'll all have a Happy New Year So, Merry Christmas
0: uh, Happy Holidays for everybody Yes, we, we are all-inclusive here I mean, if you know our podcast You know we're all-inclusive on all the holidays So, whatever you all may celebrate We wish you well. Uh, We wish you light, love, friends, family, cool gifts, great food. Uh, Travel safely, because this is one of the busier – I mean, Thanksgiving weekend is the busiest travel weekend of the year, but a lot of people travel for the holidays, so travel safe if you're going somewhere, by all means. And just all of us here at Gaming in the Frontier wish you the happiest of
1: holidays, however you may celebrate. Yep, no power outages. Oh God, no, no, no,
2: no, 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 no.
1: Any any wishes for you, Jonathan?
2: I wish somebody would come over here and hang up my Christmas lights because I really <laughs> don't want to do it. But
1: ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's on my honeydew do list. <laughs> uh, Dude, I Marvel
2: meant to do it yesterday. Set up
1: a damn tree yet, man? He was supposed to do that last uh,
2: week. I still got to do that too.
1: Yeah, well, get to oh, it, Oh, boy. All right, thanks, everybody, and we wish you all uh, happy holidays, and we will have more for you next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying, there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying, keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in.
2: This is Richard Tahoka. You see what's coming
0: next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming it's for having fun.
1: Have a Merry Christmas. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts.